we're going to have Christmas at Matthew's house. Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. And before you brand me a heretic, you know, if you have any criticisms, text Sarita. Don't, don't text me. Send her the text. But I'm going to take a little poetic license here uh, in, in parts. I promise you I won't play with the gospel itself. But uh, let's make it a little bit lighter uh, because we're going to be dealing with some kind of heavy issues. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we are celebrating the season of Jesus' birth. May this be a day today, Lord, that we uh, put aside all the bangles and baubles and presents and the things that can be distracting and, and focus on what it means to celebrate the birth of Jesus. For without a birth, there could not have been a death. And without the death of Christ and the resurrection, we would not have a hope of eternal life. May this be the day, Lord, that we focus on our heritage as believers. And if there is one here today, Lord, that does not know you as Savior, before we do another thing, may the Holy Spirit speak to that one and, and touch them and speak to them in a way that only you can, that they come to that full knowledge of who you are. And you know, if you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, you can pray a real simple prayer. The prayer doesn't save you, but your heart condition does. Pray, Lord Jesus, I don't understand it all, but right now in the best way I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and come into my life and save me. I believe when you died on the cross, you died in my place, that I might be able to live forever with you in heaven. And I thank you for that in your Son's name. Amen. Matthew 1, 1 through 7, and verses 15 and 16 read, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of, of Abijah. Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Elihud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Mathan. Mathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. How do you celebrate Christmas? We all have family traditions, don't we? When the girls were little, we used to go out and cut a Christmas tree, and uh, we would uh, find that perfect tree, and Sarita choreographed the, uh, the dance. 
and we would hold hands and dance around the Christmas tree. The girls then grew up, fell in love, and before the boys married our girls, they would join us dancing around the Christmas tree out in the field and we cut it down. That's our tradition. What about the food that you, that you make? There's special uh, Christmas food that uh, I know that you guys are, are famous for. And the decorations, the household decorations, decorate the tree, the outside. If the dog stands still long enough in our house, he gets decorated. What about Christmas carols? One of the things that I saw on, on Facebook I belong to a, a Facebook a group from my hometown in Bloomington, Illinois. And on the corner of Mercer and uh, Mercer, Mercer and Oakland Avenue, there's this great big three-story house, beautiful, beautiful house. And every year, for as long as I remember, they would decorate this house. This husband and wife, they had no children, but they had this huge house. And they had a lot of foster kids. And they would decorate this house, and it was, it was the pride of the city. Well, they've gotten so old, they're in their late 70s, early 80s, they don't decorate anymore. So a community of, of people came, and they decided to carol this couple. And they have it on the uh, uh, social media, and it really touched my heart. Singing carols to these elderly people that have given the community so much. Well, just as we have our traditions, the Gospels have theirs too. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each take a unique approach to Christmas and introduce Jesus in a very distinctive way, different from from one another. We see that Christmas at Mark's house was very different, very austere. He didn't go in much in the way of, of tinsel and garland and the bright lights, but he had Christmas in the wilderness. And the wilderness is sometimes where we find ourselves in this Christmas season. And when Jesus arrives, he meets us there in our wilderness. Now, Matthew's place has got cars or chariots jammed at the curbs. And they're doubled up. And so I'd suggest we take a stroll up the walk, up the driveway, and see what sort of Christmas Matthew's preparing to celebrate. And this is where I'm taking some poetic license. Again, docslady at cox.net if you're wanting to complain. Matthew's house looks nothing like Mark's austere place. Here there are angels and there's lights and next to the garage... Matthew set up this nativity scene and he strapped a neon star to the chimney of the place and it's glowing bright. And and lining the walk, there's three life-size glowing plastic magi and their camels. None of the other houses on the block honor these astronomers from the east and they're they're a unique part of Matthew's story and he wants to make a big deal out of it. Music and laughter radiate from Matthew's house, and it's, it's a house full of people holding glasses of eggnog and plates of special food. And everyone is standing around a tree. Now, when I say Christmas tree, you're thinking of this tall cedar 
that has all the decorations on it. Well, this tree is different. This tree is a family tree. It's not typical at all. Matthew's Christmas, you see, is a family reunion. I enjoy genealogy. I'm kind of a genealogy wonk, and I've enjoyed exploring it. I've discovered that in southern England, there's a place called Batson's Creek. It's a, a half a dozen uh, bed and breakfast joints and a, a little restaurant and a phone booth. It's red. Look it up. You'll see it. It's, it's a beautiful place. And I love Christmas at Matthew's house. At Matthew's house, an extended family is getting ready for the birth of a baby. And to prepare, our host has pulled out charts and yellowed family photographs to demonstrate that this baby comes from a very established bloodline. And it goes all the way back to Abraham. Matthew traces a careful line that begins with Abraham and his miracle of a son Isaac and travels on through a lineage all the way back to a carpenter named Joseph. Forty-two generations. That's pretty hard to chart. 42 generations. It's, a, it's quite a feat. And as Matthew moves through his chart, a pattern unfolds. Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and on and on. Curiously, though, when we get to the carpenter from Nazareth, Matthew takes a break in the cadence. And Matthew diverts from this pattern. Perhaps you heard it. Eleazar, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, not the daddy of baby Jesus. Matthew does not describe Joseph as the father of Jesus, but rather he's called a husband to Mary. I don't mind being called a husband to Sarita. I don't at all. And I'm sure that you guys don't mind being called a husband to so-and-so, but we also like to know and be, be recognized as the daddy of, where we are able to celebrate the fact that we have, we have uh, something to, to add in parenting these children and, and giving birth to these children, or at least being there while mom's giving birth. And he makes it clear, Matthew makes it clear that Joseph has no biological connection to this baby born in, in Jerusalem. No biological connection at all. He does it again when he tells Joseph's story. On learning that his fiancée is pregnant, Joseph gets a visit from an angel. Now, guys, think of this. Put yourself in this, in this place for just a minute. You have a fiancée, and she comes to you and says, Tim... I'm pregnant. That'd be the immaculate conception right there. But uh, we, we, and you say, but wait a minute, time out, hold the phone. We have never done anything that will produce a baby. Nothing. How can you be pregnant? Mary, while I was attending the camel convention, what in the world were you doing? I, this, no, this, this is, and Mary says, no, it, it, it's not. And so the, the Joseph then 
gets really upset and he's ready to put her away, divorce her, get rid of her. And the angel Gabriel comes. And he explains that Mary's baby isn't Joseph's child, but the baby belongs to God. The Holy Spirit impregnated her in a, in a, in a miraculous way. And Joseph had nothing to do with it. And this is, of course, the story of Christmas, although it's a bit of a head-scratcher, isn't it? You see a problem here. There's no, if, if there's no biological ties that bind, then why does Matthew trot out his genealogy? Why trace a bloodline through 42 generations and then turn around and say, oh, by the way, the last guy in line, Joseph, he's not the daddy. How could Matthew make such an obvious blunder unless, of course, it wasn't a blunder at all? This summer, we uh, had our, our 50th uh, wedding anniversary, and to celebrate it, we took this train trip that lasted forever to spend four days in Niagara Falls. Show of hands, who's been to Niagara Falls? How, how long did you stay in Niagara Falls? A day. And that was more than enough, wasn't it? <laughs> Not for the Batsons. This is the 50th anniversary. We spent four days looking at the same water. Washington, D.C., three hours. New York City, a place that I absolutely, my favorite city in the world. I love New York better than Chicago. We were there overnight. But my, my bride got to see Niagara Falls times four. While we were in New York, the hotel that we were in, we were way up in the top part of the, of, the, of the place, and we could look out and we saw Rockefeller Center. Rockefeller Center is the place where they put the Christmas tree, the, the big Christmas Has it been lit yet? It has? How, how tall is the Christmas tree? Come on, come on, come on. Don't say really tall. How much? No, it's bigger than that. How much? Well, it went up to, they had trees that were 100 feet tall. And these, I mean, these are big trees, aren't they? I mean, big trees. Well, the tree wasn't there in July when we were there. But we saw where it was. We also saw where the ball was that come January it drops. But crowds flocked to see this thing. And according to Eric Paws, the head gardener at Rockefeller Center, this search for the tree takes a year. They, they look all over the country and three state, primarily three states around me, to find this, this tree. And it has to be uh, the ideal shape and color and majesty. Those are the requirements for the tree. He says it can have no bad sides. Now, some people put up a 125-foot Christmas tree in their front room. Twelve. Yeah, 12. And, and does it have any bad sides? But you don't see them, do you? Because you spun that puppy around so the best part of the tree faced forward, right? Sarita said it was beautiful. Our Christmas tree comes in three pieces in a big box with 32 boxes of assorted decorations. 
Our family trees, genealogically speaking, aren't perfect. Our families are composed of scoundrels and heroes, noble people and charlatans. We have kin whom we deeply cherish, those who we endure, and there's others we can't stand to be around them. We endure them because we can't believe we share the same gene pool with some of these people. A country musician named Robert Earl Keene. Anybody heard of Robert Earl Keene? Nobody? Nobody at all? Me either. (laughs) But he wrote this Christmas carol. One of the verses. Brother Ken brought his kid with him. The three from his first wife, Lynn. And the two identical twins from his second wife, Mary Nell. Of course, he brought his new wife, Kay who all talks all about AA. Chain-smoking while the stereo plays, Noel, Noel, the first Noel. <laughs> Keen says out loud what, what we all know to be true. Our families are messy. If you look at our genealogies, you're going to find, a recreation of, uh, uh, find records of separation and even abandonment. You'll see places where people's names have been, have been crossed out, scribbled over, and even erased. Some of us belong to families where diagramming our relationship to each other requires a degree in ancestral calculus. Our flawed trees stand out in our minds. So so we do what all normal Christmas tree owners do. We spin it around until the best side faces forward. We live, no one's going to notice our hidden imperfections. Look at this impressive idyllic family tree. Check out all the patriarchs and kings. Hopefully these shiny baubles will will pull your attention away from a pregnant teenager and an anxious woodworker and a baby without a clear daddy, if only it were that simple. Matthew actually refuses to hide the imperfections. He spins the scruffiest part of the tree towards us so that we can see all of it. His genealogy includes spies, traitors, and homeless foreigners. There's a murderer thrown in there, an adulterer, all kinds of of rascals in this gospel family tree. Matthew highlights disreputable moments in the family's history. Instead of saying Jesse was the father of David and David was the father of Solomon, Matthew writes, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife Uriah, the wife of Uriah, and you remember how that deal went. Ouch, (laughs) that kind of stings. Matthew pulls us close like a gossipy uncle and whispers, psst, 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 come here. You remember that messy affair David had with Bathsheba? Remember that? Want me to refresh your memory a little bit? What's going on here? Why does Matthew prepare us for the birth of Emmanuel? God is with us by pointing an adulterous relationship in the family tree. Why would he do that? Why doesn't the gospel edit out the, sca- sca- the, the scandals? And why, for heaven's sakes, does a, he trace a genealogy all the way to Joseph and then fail to ne- connect Joseph with the baby Jesus? Why? Joseph is a crucial guest at Matthew's house. He doesn't feel that way, though. He's sitting over in the corner drinking eggnog 
and, and just kind of minding his own business, looking like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. His fiance's pregnant. The baby's not his. He wants to do the right thing. He's contemplating, as the gospel says, putting away his fiance. And, and back in those days, being engaged what, had all the rights of being married with the exception of not sleeping with her. But they still, to be betrothed was to be married. It just, you didn't, it was married without any of the benefits. He's contemplating this. And he's decided to deposit his betrothed at the Nazareth house for unwed mothers when the angel Gabriel shows up. And that's when he tells Joseph to wed Mary to accept the child growing in her womb and to give that child a name. You're going to call him Jesus. And simply put, the angel tells Joseph to adopt the baby. And why does God ask Joseph to stay involved? Why does God's messenger ask the carpenter to adopt the baby Jesus? And the answer Matthew gives is fascinating in a, in, in, in a Robert Dean sort of way. It's revealing. God, the angel tells Joseph, is in the middle of a mess that you find so morally troubling. And that same God who was there in all the not-so-pretty difficult events shaping your family tree is in the middle of the mess this very moment. Christmas season, you may find yourselves in the middle of a family mess. You're wondering, how in the world are we going to have Christmas with all this stuff going on? Well, friends, God's not taken by surprise by any of this. He's in the middle of the mess right with you. He knows about crazy Uncle Al. He knows about the kids that are causing problems. He knows about that husband that has is, that is, that is told you that he's leaving you because you don't make him happy anymore. He knows that. But for the sake of the children, we're going to go through the motions of Christmas. God's in the middle of the mess. He knows that family tree perfectly. And as flawed as the family tree was in the Old Testament on up through the birth of Christ, our tree is flawed as well. Not only is it possible for God to work in the middle of it, he actually, God has actually authored this unconventional situation involving Mary. Pay attention, Joseph, he's saying. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's you who has been adopted in and through this baby and you and your family stretching all the way back to Abraham have been adopted by God. See, you're part of the mess, Joseph. And my friends, we all are part of the mess too. But because of this baby Jesus being born, he has taken care of that mess because he's in the middle of it with us. Illuminated Bibles from the Middle Ages often depict the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel as, a, as an elaborate family tree. At the top of the tree, Mary stands holding the infant Jesus alongside the tree. Matthew stands holding a scroll and a pen, and he's still writing the genealogy. And our names are written in there too. In a nutshell, this is Christmas at Matthew's house. Here the holy infant presides over our... And I'm not talking about the ones with the 
tinsel and the bright lights. Here Christ embraces our families and all our mess. Here Matthew stands waiting for you with pen in hand. Here is going to write your name on one of the branches on that biblical uh, family tree. Protest all you want. It didn't do Joseph any good. I'm no blood, of, I'm no blood relative of Jesus. This belongs to God. Well, no matter what, Matthew is going to scribble away, and he does. This is how God operates, forever grafting our flawed and fractured selves in the middle of all the mess into a story of immeasurable hope. And so I've got a prayer this, this, this season for, for all of us. I, I pray that God would give us patience and grace as we face our flawed Christmas family trees where we spin that thing where the ugliest side is out for everybody to see because we can brag on Jesus that he's in the middle of the mess. I pray God would allow us in this holy time to trust that we too have been adopted by the Son of God. Father, thank you. Thank you for the the biblical account of of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that it didn't make a, a lick of difference that Joseph was not the biological father, but the, through the Holy Spirit, God, Mary gave birth to the baby Jesus. And Lord, without this birth, there couldn't have been life. And without the life, there couldn't have been the crucifixion. And without the crucifixion, there was no death. And without death, there was no resurrection. Without resurrection, there's no hope. Father, as we close this service, I pray that we would be mindful of who we are and that in spite of of the flaws that we have in our family history, in spite of all the mess that we can find ourselves in in the middle of, of this season that's supposed to be happy and filled with joy, in spite of all of that, we rejoice in the fact that we have been adopted by God through the saving blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Bless us. Keep us. Help us to be celebratory as we look forward to the birth of Jesus. I ask this in your son's precious name and for his sake. Amen.